It is football and other F words. My name is Zach Lyons. You can follow me on Twitter at F words pod. I am joined today by Mike Herndon at Mike Herndon NFL. The uh, basically Broadway sports media, 440 sports, paulkarski.com. Everybody is involved on this little show that we got going on here. Of course, Paul Karski is involved because you work at paulkarski.com where every Wednesday you have an article. And I am sure this week's article that you're writing, Mike, isn't going to be depressing at all. <laughs> am I right? It, it actually it actually won't be. It's already done. It's uh, it's It's less depressing than what you might think. Oh, okay. Well, I tell you what is depressing, Mike, is that I was listening to Ben Arthur, who was on a lamestream sports podcast, which is part of the 440 Network, and I'm a little depressed by what I heard as as far as the mid-roll advertisement. Now, you may not know this, but lamestream sports, which should be called lamestream media because all they do is talk to media members of the sports world. It's just a... Pet peeve of mine. But come to find out that the Gold Standard, which is another podcast about hockey on the 440 Network, has a cocktail named after them by Jaspers. Where is our cocktail? Where is our beer? We built our brand on drinking during podcasts when uh, we were all together pre-COVID. Drinking on podcasts, getting drunk, and just spilling our hearts and souls about this team where is our beer where what is, is a, our is cocktail effing cocktail yeah I mean, that's, that's that's all you have to call it right there i want an effing cocktail yeah I, I said the get effed because you know you get drunk and you pass out you could do the get effed i think a whiskey bourbon cocktail of some sort would be right up our alley uh, but also you know you know later on maybe we'll maybe if there's someone that is listening to that is part of a brewery or part of someone that even if they just do home brews. Hey, beer and other B words right here. A beer, <laughs> a, the official beer of football and other F words. But that had me a little depressed. But what doesn't have me depressed, though, it makes, it makes it all better is when I actually go to Jasper's, the next evolution of Sports Bar, and actually have their food, have their drinks, and just have a good time. It kind of makes it a little bit better. But now I know that this cocktail is there. So I'm just not going to be able to look at the cocktail menu anymore. And I'm going to have to forbid Lauren from ever ordering this cocktail. Oh, you are. No, there well, you go. That's, that's true, too. I mean, uh, we cannot have that happen. Yeah. I, I glitching am. There? Yeah, you were glitching there, but that's okay. Well, you know, we, we talked right over it. But go to Jasper's. Have you have yourself whatever you want, even it is if it's the gold standard, not, you know, get effed or whatever our cocktail could be. But go there, have some food, have some beer. Two-for-ones on Sundays while the Titans are playing. You definitely have needed the two-for-ones the past three weeks because this team stinks. <laughs> I'm so sick of this fucking team. And I, I am so upset that I had to sit there and watch this team just self-destruct. And that is the, the, the theme of the episode, is that the Titans self-destructed. You can blame Todd Downing and want him fired. You can blame Mike Vrabel and his offensive philosophy. You can blame the defense, this and that. Ultimately, it is the players who executed the plays poorly 
that cost this team the win on Sunday. And it goes to an article I wrote on broadwaysportsmedia.com that came out on Tuesday. And essentially what you're looking at is a top 10 offense without the turnovers. On Sunday, out of all the teams that played on Sunday, it was a top 10 offense. What turns out to be is a bottom 20 offense because of the turnovers. That's how key the turnovers were. So I get it. You want to fire Todd Downing listeners. I'm with you. I I am president of the Fire Todd Downing fan club. I have been since last year. But the issue with Todd Downing in this particular game is first off that horrendously timed call that actually did cause one of the turnovers in the second half, and we'll get to that later, is the fact that Todd Downing, there is no play in his playbooks for penalties or for turnovers where those plays can overcome those mistakes. Yeah, it's, I mean, at this point, it it is just lazy that the first instinct that everyone just goes to is, well, it's Todd Downing's fault. Clearly that game was Todd Downing's fault. Because it's every game you lose, or even the games that the offense just doesn't put up enough points, which is all of the games. Um, And I do understand, like, I agree Todd Downing is to blame for a lot of this stuff, but look, in this game, Derrick Henry should damn well be blamed for putting the ball on the ground. Like that is, I know he doesn't do it a lot. I'm not saying fire Derrick Henry or anything, but yeah, it's fair they to say. traded Derrick Henry week eight. I will maintain that the best move this franchise could have made, and we'll talk about that later. Was we'll talk about it in another episode in the offseason. Was to trade Derrick Henry in week eight. Yeah, I mean, and I think that would be an interesting uh, scenario to look into there, but. Uh, yeah, it, it is not it is not Todd Downing's fault that that NWI ran the wrong route, right? Like, I mean, they, they called the play in the huddle. Obviously, uh, Tannehill and NWI heard different things. Um, they, judging by Tannehill's reaction, I'm guessing it was an NWI mistake. And to to me, again, comes back to NWI, Dennis Daly, all you know, Aaron Brewer, all these guys that really do not deserve to be on the field right now but are because they are the only options available to this team comes back to John Robinson and he's already been fired. Um, I don't disagree that Todd Downing should be fired. I never thought Mike Vrabel was going to do it in the middle of the season because he's never fired a coach in the middle of the season. I don't think he believes that's helpful to his team. So I just, I know like everyone wants Downing fired. It's all every, we're all in agreement here that Downing should go. They should go in a different direction on offense. This is the perfect opportunity to do it because you're going to have to reset the whole fucking offense anyways, because all these guys suck or are old and, you know, on expensive contracts, it's time to rebuild the offense like they did a couple years ago with the defense. And while you're doing that, you might as well go get a new coordinator and a new scheme and try something else because then look, frankly, the NFL has caught up to, and I think this is really kind of an overarching theme for what like has happened to the Titans over the last two years. Hell, what's happened to the entire NFL the last two years, it feels like. It feels like the offensive schemes, there is, outside of Kyle Shanahan, there is no foolproof offensive scheme unless you have Kyle Shanahan. When, and I think that is part of it. Like, like Shanahan is is the father of all of these subsidiaries that now exist in the NFL. All All of the teams that run this, outside zone, West Coast offense that goes back to, you know, really beyond Shanahan's father um, into, you know, the the Bill Walsh tree and all this other stuff. 
all of that stuff, Kyle Shanahan is steeped in it. Like in Superhorn, uh, one of our buddies uh, uh, that writes for broad or did write for Broadway uh, sports for a minute, and, and I don't, I don't think he's writing anything anymore, but um, knows a lot about football. Has has written about this team in the past, and he always talks about it's different to be like to understand how to call the plays in this offense. It's another thing to be able to understand the adjustments and the details and how to coach around certain issues or certain challenges that come up in this offense. And I do think, you know, LaFleur probably had that because he'd been with Shanahan for so long. And it's at a certain point you absorb all of that knowledge. Um, And I just don't think, I I don't know that Arthur Smith had it to be honest. Uh, And, you know, he's kind of branched off and done his own thing. Like his offense is very different than, a lot of these other kind of copycat offenses. But to me, Todd Downing feels like a guy who is running an offense. He's running someone else's offense. The offense is fine, but his feel for it and his feel for how to adjust when teams start taking certain things away is not there. And it may be because this isn't like his offense necessarily. He's picking up the pieces of someone else's offense and trying to build on that. But either way, I think it is time that they rip this thing out at the root and go a totally different direction. And if that means going pretty wildly, uh, you know, dramatically different with their personnel selections, so be it. They're going to have to do that anyways with a new GM coming in, most likely, because they're going to want their guys in and and all that stuff. So, yeah, Downing should go after the season. And they're stuck with what this is at this point. I mean, like... Well, and and to be honest, Mike, you know... You know, last week, I think we both were kind of like, well, this kind of maybe means that Todd Downing is going to stick around maybe another season because maybe that Todd Downing will pull a bow in and think and try to blame all the players. But then you you keep on putting these bad performances out on the field. And I know that this, like we said, technically wasn't a Todd Downing thing, but he couldn't overcome anything. He couldn't, you know, throw in some easy plays to get everybody back in a rhythm or anything like that. So in my mind, I'm thinking there is no way heading into this offseason that Amy Adams Strunk, after what she said, and we're going to get into all the stuff that she said because I thought she had said some interesting stuff. I want to get your thoughts on it. After all that she said, she's going to let Todd Downing stick around. You get the the season, but Todd Downing's Downing's headed out of here, right? I mean, like, don't you think that now it's like 98% that Todd Downing's going to get fired? Yeah, that's that's kind of where I'm at too. I, I just don't see how they're going to let him hang around. I mean, I like with the DUI and everything else. Like it, it's it would be really really hard to sell anybody on being excited about this Titans offense next year, even with new players in. If Downing is back running it, I mean the 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 taste for Downing has has soured so much in this fan base that there is nothing like. I think it's over the top at times. I really do. I, I think some of it is is just an extreme, you know, position on on Downing. But there's certainly there's just no way. I feel like there's no way they can come back with him as the offensive coordinator for a third season. Uh, you know, when people didn't, a lot of people didn't want him the first season. Almost most people didn't want him the second season, and definitely nobody wants him now. Um, yeah. it it would just be way hard to sell to this fan base and they're going to have to do some selling this off season, by the way, to, to get this fan base back in, because what I saw, you know, on, on the television copy anyways, 
was a fan base that was like mildly excited when when the Titans were doing well in the first half. But when nothing turned, I mean, it, it was a sour, sour fan base. Not not just a hey, we're losing to a bad team um, at home. What's going on? It was it was a fan base that's just fed up with all of this. Um, and I, I think the crowds for the rest of the season are going to be sparse. I, I think, you know, regardless of really the results the next few weeks, I think it's going to be tough to get people in that building, and they're going to have some selling to do to keep from there being a mass, mass exodus of season ticket members, I think, after the season, especially with, you know, they're asking these these season ticket holders to invest big money to secure their PSLs for the new stadium and all this stuff. This is not a good time for them to crater uh, or to have you know uh, something like downing poisoning the fan base against them they they need to do some selling and i don't think you could do it with downing in the fold yeah exactly i i am i'm fully with you um mike i i've talked about the offense and about how the turnovers affected everything and i i, I want to know do you think the firing of john robinson went had the opposite effect than what was intended or what kind of what people thought because people thought including myself that maybe they will play a little bit more motivated kevin byard thought they would play a little bit motive more motivated himself leading into the week that they would all be drowned out and then of course pretty much every player that had really bad plays that cost his team kevin byard nwi uh dennis daly derrick henry they're all they're all John Robinson guys. Like two of those guys right there are John Robinson guys before Mike Vrabel even showed up, right? I mean, it's just it's funny to it's it's I know it's highly coincidental and that's a little conspiracy theory, but it's kind of odd that the players that you normally depend on are the players that kind of crap the bet. It definitely was. I mean, I I I honestly I didn't think that John Robinson's firing was gonna have much of an effect on the players this week going into the game just because I I felt like you know yes they probably had somewhat of a relationship with with Robinson it sounded like some some guys were probably closer to him than others um but I just uh, you know he's not their position coach he's not a coordinator he's not in the day-to-day like interactions with the players like yes his door's open yes he is at practice watching things but it's more He's just out there watching. Maybe, you know, maybe he picks up a ball and throws it during a drill or whatever. Like, that would be about the extent of his interaction. Um, I, do, I, don't, I didn't think it was going to be an a impact in this game, and I don't think it was. I, I think this – it would be hard for me to be convinced that this was, like, some huge thing where, like, they were just so distracted by his firing that they, you know, couldn't hold on to the football or they couldn't – uh, you know, remember, you know, Dennis Daly forgot to to block Trevon Walker. Maybe um, Dennis Daly knew that John Robinson was getting fired in week one and or week two, and that's why he's played poorly this whole year. Maybe, maybe he he's known this whole time. Um, but yeah, I, I just think it's a it's a case of you had a whole bunch of good defenders out of this game. You were playing like Terrence Mitchell and like you know just these bottom of the roster guys everywhere everywhere I mean it, it was like I mean you had to have like Dylan Cole and Joe Schobert playing next to each other for parts of this game and stuff like that it, it was it, it it was a shell of the defense that they 
would normally have on the field. I feel like if you took like five or six of the best players off of any other NFL defense and asked them to go play a game, it would probably look about the same. Um, so, you know, say, say the Jaguars had five or six starters out, you know, the next time they play them, I bet the Titans will run, run all over them despite the fact that the Titans offense stinks. Um, so I think part of it's just an accumulation of injuries again uh, on the defensive side of the ball. And the, the offense just stinks. It is what it is because quite frankly, the offense is playing two guys, and one of them is because of injury, like obviously Daly. Uh, he's, he has no business being an NFL starter. Aaron Brewer has no business being an NFL starter. I'm totally done with the Aaron Brewer thing because while he is still a pretty decent run blocker and I still think he's he brings some value there, I thought he would get better at pass protection as the year went on, as he got some more experience. He is not. He is just as bad as he was at the beginning of the year. There has been no progression. He's not a good enough pass blocker to keep in the lineup at this point. So now they don't have a choice because Raidens is a bad pass blocker and a bad run blocker. So I, I don't know what, what you want them to do about that for the rest of the season. But this is just where they are. They're starting guys that have no business starting. Well, and it's the, the problem is, is that they were put in this position because the GM has not gone out and got anybody worth a damn. Yeah. You know, we don't know what's going on with Eric Flowers, but we know that they didn't even bring him in for a visit, right? There's no physical, there's no interview, there's no anything other than maybe they probably texted an agent or called an agent. But if you look at the visits, look at the people they brought in, and look at the people they have signed, it goes back to John Robinson. And, you know, we weren't, we're not going to get too deep into it, but you're talking about four players in Robert Woods, in Bud Dupree, in uh Taylor Lewan and um who else am I forgetting? Zach Cunningham. Yeah. That almost have a $46 million swing on the cap. Four four players. You know, it's it's kind of wild, like that in the moment, we're kind of like, oh, it's no big deal, and it's no big, you know, nothing big here. And it's like, okay, well, he's gonna have another chance or he can make his mistake or overcome these mistakes and blah, 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 blah. But when you really start just deep diving into sort of the the things that have led to this culmination of this losing streak, you're like, okay, well, this this is pretty much on John Robinson, and and that's where I'm kind of kind of at on this. In that, I also don't think that it's all. Well, I think Danico Autry's huge. You know, all the injuries that happen, obviously, Danico Autry. I mean, even the run defense is falling off because Danico Autry's absence. In this three-game skid where there's no Danico Autry, I know it doesn't sound like a lot, but they've gone from the best rushing defense in efficiency to, like, this seventh, fifth, sixth, eighth, you know, kind of right around there. Okay? Yeah, they're not playing a lot of team. I mean, they, they've done a great job. But that's still a drop-off with Danico Autry. And the past defense has gone from average to below average to just downright putrid. It's, like, unbearable to watch. It's all, it, But the third-down defense is great. Like, the third-down defense has not dropped off. It's just, it's wild how this defense is working. But it desperately needs Danico Autry and Christian Fulton. If you can't see this game this past week, and here's where... I went into the, the the week. I said that Tennessee at the when we recorded last week, I said Tennessee Titans are a better team than the Jacksonville Jaguars. They are. Except that they had Christian Fulton and David Long by the time after we recorded, 
were out. That changes the whole outlook of this team and no other uh, better example than freaking Evan Ingram going off. You might as well just start Gerald Everett. You might as well start whatever stupid-ass tight end the Texans have. Start up Evan Ingram again because this team is not going to be able to cover tight ends without David Long, and that's pretty apparent, for at least right now, until they prove otherwise. And then Christian Fulton was sorely, sorely missed. I mean, you're talking about Roger McCreary trying to extend for that uh, interception. I mean, just inches, you know, the 28-inch uh, wingspan or whatever it is. There, there's so many moments in this in this game that are like that, too. I mean, that that play with McCreary could have been an interception, turns into a touchdown. Uh, you know, obviously, the, the, Derek, the Derek Henry fumble, they were driving down to score. I mean, they, they were going to get points before the, the end of the half, I think, and, and probably run the clock down enough to where I don't know if Jacksonville would have gotten the ball with enough time left to score. So, I mean, that very well could have been 21 to 10 heading into the half if Derrick Henry doesn't fumble right there. Um, I mean, these, they were huge, huge swings. I, I mean, then the, the other Derrick Henry fumble, which I put, Mostly on Todd Downing because it, you're at this point you're down. Uh, was it was that when they were already down thirty? Uh, they were they were down like twenty something points or something like that. And you get it first first down, and you run this fucking trick play where Ryan Tannehill is supposed to act like the ball got snapped over his head while Derrick Henry picks the grabs the snap and runs. And, you know, the snap is low. Henry can't get it. It tries to pick it up so he can run with it. And then the ball gets knocked away, which Derrick Henry should have just fallen on that ball. Yes, I agree. But stupid play call. That is a stupid fucking play call. But Jaguars come right back down and, and get more points um, and, and run more time off the clock. So there was play after play after play after the avalanche started where it was like, Oh, well, if that had gone the other way, maybe this is a totally different game. Um, and so I agree that I, I still do believe the Titans are a better team than the Jaguars. Um, like I said, if you took the the Jaguars and took their, you know, five or six best players on one one side of the ball away, I bet the game would look a lot different, um, which is basically what the Titans had happen had happened in this game. But at this point, it, it's. I mean, that's who the Titans are. They're always hurt um, constantly. I mean, they, the, I keep saying, you know, well, if the defense was able to get healthy, you know, maybe this team would have a chance to, to frustrate some teams because the defense, when they were healthy earlier in the season, or when they were at least just without like one guy, like when they were without like, oh, well, we don't have Dupree this week, or we don't have Cunningham this week, or whatever, manageable. They could manage that. They've got no backup for David Long, none whatsoever on the roster. All the other inside linebackers, Dylan Cole, uh, Monty Rice, um, you know, obviously Cunningham, who's hurt anyways, but all those other guys are run-defending linebackers only. They are shit in pass coverage. They all suck at it, every single one of them. There is the hell, no they suck at tackling, Mike. I mean, for the most part. Yeah, I mean, Monty, Monty Rice is a good tackler. He's all right. I mean, like, I'm I'm not going to go out here and say that Monty Rice is anything special or anything. I mean, he's I, I maybe. He's not, he's not special, but I, I think he's played pretty well the last few games when he's had to be in there for Zach Cunningham, which, by the way, I, that's 100% Zach Cunningham's replacement, right? Like, next year it is going to be Monty Rice's job, and it, oh. I hope it's Monty Rice and David Long 
playing next to each other in the middle. And I think that would be just fine. Um, but yeah, you just, there's just not, and there's not a replacement for Fulton, especially when Trey Avery, who technically is his replacement and is already a, a undrafted rookie, uh, is, is out as well. And so you're back to dusting off Terrence Mitchell's old ass, uh, off the bench and trying to run him back out there. And it's just, it was a miserable game with miserable players on the field. And, and this defense, unless they're able to get David Long back, Nico Autry back, Jeffrey Simmons back to being healthy Jeffrey Simmons, and Christian Fulton back, they, they've got to have those four guys playing at a high level without losing anyone else. Yeah, that's the key, right? It's like yeah. we talked about last week. It's like, okay, four four guys come back. Four guys are going away on this team. We don't know who yeah. they are, but for probably Roger McCreary and you know Jeffrey Simmons and something else. I mean, like they'll just be all good to go. I mean, yeah, it's, it's insane. It's, it's just injury whack a mole at this point. But they, unless they get all those guys back and and can put out something that looks more like what they had against Kansas City, what they had, uh, you know, against Houston, and and when this defense was really clicking earlier in the season, unless they can get back to the, the, those personnel pieces being in there and healthy we're not going to see that defense again like we're just not it's gone it's not coming back without those guys getting and staying healthy which i have zero faith in happening at this point because we keep saying like we've said all year we're like well you know just you'll get healthy. this guy back in well, a was last year too <laughs> yeah and and then they'll all be healthy and then we'll see what this team really looks like and it's like no then three more guys will be gone by then so but mike they have dylan cole who has passion for the game and he, he sheds tears because of his bad performance. He deserves an extension according to our, that, uh, the New Jersey guys up there and people are so excited. They're singing the Kumbaya all around the campfire, shoving banjos up each other's asses. Like they're in a <laughs> frat party out in the mountains of West Virginia. Dylan Cole was number five heading into the game in most missed tackles percentage in the NFL if you played at least 300 snaps he has moved up since that last game where he had 28.6 of his attempted tackles were misses up to 19.2 percent at number two the only reason that he's probably that low is because Tay Crowder who is ahead of him because I, I saw the stat he only attempted one tackle last week somehow as a linebacker only attempted one tackle and he missed that one tackle so he's 100 percent so 19.2% Dylan Cole missed tackles. Dylan Cole is a great special teamer and Dylan Cole is a great, a, a, a great player to have in a situation where you need him to come in for maybe one game or two. Obviously right. he is not a full 17 game player. And obviously if Monty Rice had stayed healthy, if chance Crawford chance, God, I did, Every time Chance Campbell had stayed healthy, <laughs> Dylan Cole may not be on this team. Yeah, people forget that. But those two guys went down. Dylan Cole came in, and Dylan Cole has played to the best of his ability. I do not deny that he has left everything he can on the field every time, but it just isn't enough. And that is okay to admit. Just because he cried, just because he showed emotion, does not mean. That he is suddenly good. It's not. It's not like uh, he's getting fed gamma rays when he's 
the tears fall into his mouth and he's turned into the Incredible Hulk and he's going to be some all pro just because he cried. He cried because he didn't play good. And he's he's just an, an average to below average linebacker. That's not the guy that you have to go out and extend. I could not. Well, I can believe it because we'll get we'll talk about Marcus later. This these this fan base would rather have nice guys with good stories and cheery little attitudes and oh boy, I'm plucky. I can I can cry and I can I can show emotion than have actual good players. That's what I'm convinced of at this point. Yeah, the, I mean the Dylan Cole thing. It, like, I think you said it perfectly, and that he's a really good special teams player. Like, I I would like to have him back next year as as Monty Rice's backup, right? Like. He doesn't need to be back as a starter. He doesn't need to be back in, in I hope I hope that Chance Campbell passes him. I hope that that you know obviously Monty Rice passes him. I, I hope that we don't see Dylan Cole line up at linebacker again ever for this franchise. I, that would be great, a great development. I hope Zach Cunningham is back this week so he can take his place back. Because Dylan Cole is not as good as any of those other guys. He, he just isn't, he's a good special teams player. It seems like a good guy. Like I, you know, he cares obviously, which is great, but that is not any reason to attribute to him any more ability than he really has, which is not very much as a linebacker, as a special team guy. Sure. Don't, you know, fine. But spend your mil- the million dollars league minimum vet minimum deals. You can spend that on Dylan Cole. But sure. he doesn't need some like crazy ass extent. It's no. like the people who were all upset that the team didn't sign Dane Crookshank. And look where the fuck Dane Crookshank is right now. I R. He's not <laughs> even playing. It, it is uh yeah, it is a shame that these guys I, I don't know. People just get it so attached to you know these guys and, and they'll you know, you'll still see when Zach Cunningham is I'm sure, you know, announced that he's on on his way to returning. Uh, you'll probably see people come out of the woodwork saying, oh, well, you know, he's not even better than Dylan Cole. Yes, he is. He's 100% definitely better than Dylan Cole, without a doubt. Like, I know Dylan Cole had a couple nice games. He's not a full-time starting linebacker. He's just not. Yeah, it, it's it's kind of crazy. You know, you saw people saying that Tajay, I don't know why Chris Conley all of a sudden got some weird slander thrown his way. Uh, no, it's I t- I'll tell you why. It's because Cody Hollister's gone, and there has to be another uh, wide receiver punching bag. Well, and I mean, he caught his only target, right? He, I mean, he only played like it was a great a catch. Of, yeah, like I, I, it was kind of wild that to see people clamoring for Tajay Sharp, who got cut, got cut because he's injured. And saying that right now, Tajay Sharp is a better wide receiver than Chris Conley, who Chris Conley can actually play. And Chris Conley, here's the thing. Chris Conley played uh, a lot of snaps because he had to, because there's no Traylon Burks. And he, the one target he got, he caught, and it was for 27 yards. And I know that's like kind of like Cody Hollister in week two or whenever he made that like 30-yard catch. But... That's what you need. You have no Kyle Phillips. You have no um, no Traylon Burks. You know, everybody else got a healthy amount of targets. Chig got six. Robert Woods got seven. Austin Hooper got five. Nick Westbrook-Kinney got eight. I mean, I don't know. I don't. I just don't think people are... Well, I know people aren't thinking because it's the same dumb people every time who, who say, well, I guess you're... He had the gall to say to a guy named Titans Filmroom, 
Well, I guess you're just not watching the same games I am. Well, obviously, you just don't know how to watch the fucking games. That's what it boils down to. But Tajay Sharp has 230 yards total in three years since being off the Titans. But so. it, but listen, only the Titans got it wrong, right? I mean, only the Titans are the the reason that he's the only player that can play for the Titans, right? Apparently, because even though he can't play for 31 other fucking teams, <laughs> we need him here. It's like the Josh Gordon, you know, like I can't believe this team didn't give Josh Gordon more. Um, more chance. The dude is unemployed. <laughs> Nobody yeah. was jumping on the waivers. Nobody's jumped into free agency looking to sign fucking Josh Gordon. Like, get a grip with these bad players. I mean, th- this brings me back to what I want to talk about, and it's something that I wrote on uh, Sunday evening, Monday morning. Uh, it's free right now on Broadway Sports Media, and it's about excusing the inexcusable. And we've kind of already talked about Todd Downing. I think you're back on track thinking where you needed to be from the get-go with me saying that there is no Shane Bowen redemption story for Todd Downing. It's just that there's no career path. The the circumstances are not the same. They are not the same quality coach. But it goes back to this fucking motto, mantra, whatever you want to call it, coach better, play better. I'm sick of it, Mike. I, I think it's empty words because if co- coach better, play better is obviously not a rule. It's obviously not a requirement because if you don't coach better and if you don't play better, guess what? You get to keep your fucking job. It doesn't matter. It does not matter about Dennis Daly. You get to keep your job, Dennis Daly. But hey, we sure do hope you play better. And hey, hopefully we'll coach you better. I So I do think they're empty words, but I think that's just something that Vrabel says when he doesn't really want to say anything else and he's just going to, I mean, I think at this point, right or wrong, Mike Vrabel is not ever going to come out and verbally trash a coach or a player that is currently employed for his team. They're not like he, they can ask him about Dennis Daly and say, look, Dennis Daly has given up 47 sacks this year or whatever, whatever the real number is. Uh, you know, why is he still playing left tackle? Well, Dennis, Dennis has Dennis has showed us some stuff. Dennis has had some good plays too. Like I could, I could write the script of every single Mike Vrabel answer, given the questions. Like if you just filled out the reporter questions, I'll just write the script out and I'll give you exactly what Mike Vrabel is going to say within like three or four words. Uh, because it's the same thing all the time. He he has his little pet go to phrases. Um and coach better play better is one of them it's one of the more like annoying ones of course because it's it's the one that usually comes after you know a loss and it's usually the ones that come after they are you know he's asked about a bad performance or a a bad player or whatever uh and he just goes well we've just got to coach better we've got to play better and it's it's about him not wanting to single anyone out publicly i don't think it I don't think that's like a mantra within the building or anything like that. I just think it's a cop-out answer for him to avoid saying to the media, yeah, Dennis Daly sucks. Dennis Daly sucks. And guess what? Fuck John Robinson for giving him to me. Because I bet you that's what he thinks in his brain, but it comes out, hey, we got to coach better. We got to play better. Dennis made some good plays out there, and he made some plays he'd probably like to have back. That's that's what it is. I need a Mike Rabel translator. I I, I could could be 
you know, give a little bit better answer though that without trashing the player. Because I, I like we recognize this play hasn't been up to our standards, and we're gonna have to find a solution sooner rather than later if he doesn't step up and get his stuff corrected. That's not really throwing him up under the bus. Not saying that he sucks. It's just saying he's not up to our standard. I mean, I think he's not gonna say that. He's not gonna say that for anybody because he doesn't want it publicly out there. You know, because then the headline becomes daily not up to Vrabel standard. You know, and and. I mean, that's what the headlines are anyway. I mean, well, except for they're probably a little bit meaner. It's true, and I, I guess the question is, you know, does it really hurt to be honest about stuff like that? Um, but to me, I, I think it's just Vrabel probably being overly protective of, you know, the guys in the locker room, the coaches, everything like that with the media. He views the mid- media as the enemy, right or wrong. Like, I, I know there's there's – various opinions of that whether that matters whether it doesn't matter whatever he views the enemy the media as the enemy because that is what he feels like can help divide locker rooms and, and to me that that is what this is all about that's when when he says all these little catchphrases when he fails to dog downing when he fails to you know talk about Dennis Daly sucking uh when he clearly does that is why it's because he's just not going to ever say anything negative about any of these guys, no matter how bad it gets uh, publicly. Now behind closed doors, he's probably saying, Dennis, you fucking sucked this week. You got to quit getting our quarterback killed. Um, And he may be saying it in front of the whole team, but he is not going to say that publicly. I did. I did. I'm just sick of it. I guess I'm just tired of it because like it wears, it wears on. Well, it's, it's not just that. It's just that it means nothing because you don't do anything with it. Right. I mean, it's just like, I don't know, do something. I mean, at this point you have to do something and maybe firing John Robinson. Was that something? Um, Maybe cutting Ola Dini for whatever reason. Is that something which is just weird? I don't know. But at this point, it just feels like coach better play better, which has been something that he said the whole time. There's no repercussion for it if you don't do it. At least no immediate repercussion or no change. It seems to me that your job's pretty safe in the season if you're a starter. doesn't matter if you're a shitty starter like David Questenberry or Dennis Daly. Your job's safe because, hey, you're a starter. Maybe that changes with the next GM. We, I, I don't know. I guess that's true to some degree, but I also feel like we've seen instances like, you know, Josh Reynolds, who was signed theoretically to be a starter and like, uh, yeah, but that wasn't in season. It was, it wasn't in season, but that's what I'm saying. I mean, Jayon Brown lost his job to David long effectively in the middle of the season. And it's not like Jayon Brown was playing that bad or whatever. Um, We've seen it happen before. I just think, I, the daily thing to me is still baffling because I don't know how you don't just try something else at this point. Because, I mean, I, I don't care how bad LaRaven Clark is. It would be really hard for me to believe that LaRaven Clark is significantly better or significantly worse than than Dennis Daly. He's probably not significantly better either. And maybe like the thought is that, hey, this guy sucks but all these guys suck and we'd rather go with the guy that we kind of know at this point and who is played next to Aaron Brewer for a while and won't have as many communication issues. Hopefully it's not working. It's not working, but it's maybe not. that's the I, mindset. I like, mean, Chig lays out a beautiful chip block and he still could do anything with it. And, but I, was, I, I do want to ask about this chip, chip, this chip block though, because initially my first reaction was, 
yeah, great block, but he really pushed the defender out wide yeah, and not inside. But I'm not an offensive line guy, so I don't know where he's supposed to block the guy, the defender, on that yeah. particular play. But he does seem to me, and I hate having to excuse Dennis Daly a little bit, that Chig pushed the guy way out and the angle he, the angle that he pushed the guy out helped, did not help slow ass, loser ass Dennis Daly. Yeah, I, I would agree with you in that, like, the chip, like, he get, he made good contact, but he, he needs to really probably force him inside there, unless, unless they're coaching him specifically not to do that on that specific play. Um, but to me, yeah, he pushes him out wide, and, and Dennis Daly's got some of the slowest feet you'll ever see on a tackle because he's really a guard. Um, and you know, he just gets destroyed. Like, I don't, I don't even think he touched Travon Walker. Um, no, no, he, he did not touch him. And it's just ridiculous. So Dennis Daly fails on that play. I'm not sure. I would love to know, you know, I don't think Brable would ever honestly answer it publicly. I would love to know if that was, that is the way that they coached that to be, or if there, if that was something that they corrected with Chig uh as far as how he chipped there and whether he should have made sure he released outside to force the end back inside but either way i'm so sick and tired because we've seen it happen this year where dennis daly gets beat with a chip that does force a guy back inside and he gets beat inside it is like that is where you cannot get beat so I, I don't know that this was necessarily solely on Daly. I think maybe there's a little bit of Chig blame to be held there. Uh, but Daly's been beaten enough on these stupid plays that I'm just so sick and tired of them helping him and him still losing. It's just brutal to watch. Mike, something we thought was both a little interesting, a little intriguing, was the fact that on Monday for the press conference, Two players go up first, and then it's Mike Vrabel. And today, on Tuesday, when we're recording this, no press conference, which has been typically not the case as well. What do you think about this new look press conference schedule that we got going on here? And what does it... I I don't know the purpose of it. I mean, I'm not saying I don't necessarily like hearing from, like, Chikokonku and hearing from Amani Hooker. Uh, especially after the games they both had and their offensive units had. But I just thought it was really odd. What's up with this? Yeah, I, don't, I, don't, I have no idea on that. Because, uh, yeah, I was, I was really surprised because usually Monday it's only Vrabel. And then Tuesday it's usually only Vrabel yeah. too, right? Right. Um, or when do the, the coordinators talk on Wednesday? Thursday? Wednesday. Is it Wednesday? Yeah. Um, so – yeah, it's just kind of an odd shakeup to the schedule. I don't know if it was because of some specific thing this week, but it is kind of different that they they did it that way. I don't know if that's... Amy oh. Adams Strunk had an interview. Do you feel that you got what you needed to get out of it? No. Okay. What did you need more out of it? Because it, like to me, I'm like, I would love to know a little bit more of the details. Obviously, I would love to know more about why she felt AJ Brown wasn't here and stuff like that. Uh, we do know that she is looking for obviously the Super Bowl GM. She's willing to wait until the Super Bowl uh, is over to find a GM. But we also know that she's looking for a GM that's in there 24 seven, like Mike Vrabel is. And she said that her and Vrabel had a good working relationship. So she's looking for everything. Well, 
but I have a few questions because of stuff that she asked, but I want to hear what did you want to hear more of her from? I would have liked to have known more uh, about like the decision to move on from him and the, the reason for when it happened, because she kind of said, you know, well, you know, I, I knew um, that this was a decision I wanted to make and I didn't want to sit on it. And I can respect that, that, you know, there's no point in having your mind made up and just waiting uh, at that point. But I also feel like knowing she also said that she didn't make her decision based off of the Eagles game. So if she knew, like, I would like to know when she knew that she wanted to make this decision because it obviously happened between the time he got the the extension in February uh, and the time that he was fired after the Eagles game. So somewhere in that time period, her mindset changed and I would love to know when that happened. You know, if it was a specific event, if it was a culmination of things and, you know, if it wasn't after the Eagles game, you know, then she obviously sat on it for a little bit. So I, I, I don't know. I, the, the timing aspect of like when she made the decision, why she made the decision would be interesting to me because I, I want to know more about like, what her mindset is for this team, you know, is it uh, is because I think that's going to influence who she goes after as a GM and what that GM's marching orders are, because the Titans are at a very tricky spot in their trajectory here, because there's some major, major decisions due this off season, as far as like veteran players, guys who could be released, they're over the cap. Um, they've got to figure out what this next iteration of the offense is going to look like. They've got, you know, some pieces that you like, you know, obviously Chig, uh, Burks, you know, maybe Nicholas Petit Frere, you feel like are good foundational long-term pieces, but that's about it. You know, like uh, other than that, who, who else do you think is really certain to be here in 2024? Um, I would argue that the list is zero people besides those three right now. Um, so it is, a very pivotal time. And I would like to know what her mindset is. Is she looking at this as like a rebuild and she didn't want John Robinson to be the person driving the rebuild? Or is she looking at this as we're not that far away and I need a GM who can come in and get the right pieces in place to take us over the top with this group. Like, cause I, those are two very different missions for the next GM. And there are going to be some decisions that will be made in the spring that will reflect that i guess we'll eventually get the answer but i would like to know what that looks like right now to me um because i think that's that's important i i want to ask you about something because i thought this was i thought this was interesting in the sense that we when this went down the majority of the analysts in the local media thought okay well the timing means obviously let's get to scouting Right. Let's get the right. let's get someone in. Let's do some interviews. Get some scoutings and, and stuff in. Now she walks into this interview, and Amy Adams Strunk says, "Well, if we have to wait to February to find our person, if we feel our person or at least a person of interest is on a Super Bowl team, we have to wait till February. We'll wait till after the Super Bowl is over." Which totally contradicts that. So at this point, it's left us wondering. And left us thinking, 
by connecting dots that something behind the scenes has become so untenable between John Robinson and the his staff, the coaching staff, the players to the point to the point where they had to get the bad juju out of the building. Because there is no well, you know, I'm you can say that you're cutting him so he can find another job. But first off, if you're John Robinson, you're probably not finding a job right now in the next four or five weeks. You're getting paid, so why even you know rush to go find a job? But you're they're also it's very rare that a GM gets a second shot. So he's not you're not cutting him so he can technically be a GM of another team that or whatever. So there's really no justification for for firing him other than he's just not there's something going on behind the scenes and that's what she's left up in the air. And that's what I would love to know more about. Yeah. I mean, and that is, that is something that I think is fairly raised and look like there's zero reports out there that this is true. So I I think that's, it's a, it's a speculation thing, but it's fair to speculate because the, the firing was pretty shocking. Like the firing was, out of nowhere in the middle of the season, all this stuff. And if the se- if the, like you said, if the timing wasn't so that you could get a jump start, start on scouting, which it, apparently it wasn't, um, then, you know, the question becomes like, well, why, why would you make this move now? Um, and you do wonder, you know, Hey, was it, was it a frustration with, you know, the D the D DUI thing with Todd Downing and whatever was happening on that plane and, and John Robinson being in charge of the organization and the culture and have they created a culture that allowed this to happen or, or whatever on top of, you know, I, when I think about that, I go back to like the whole COVID thing and, and the, you know, fines and the league investigation and all that stuff. I wonder if there's something that has to do with this firing of Amy Adams strong being frustrated that the Titans keep ending up in these spots where they are getting negative media scrutiny scrutiny because of what appears to be like just loose, loose rule following going on within the building and and ultimately that buck stops with John Robinson. You know, he's he is the one that sets that that culture and sets that parameter. Um I wonder if there's anything of that. And, and look, there's like all reports have said it's about on the field performance and there's certainly cause for her to fire him based on on the field performance in my opinion just because of the we talked about the offensive issues and all the stuff that goes back to his decision making, all the money that he spent on guys who haven't panned out, all the draft picks he spent on guys who haven't panned out, all this stuff. But the timing does make me wonder about like the DUI thing and is it connected to that and the COVID thing and all this other stuff. All these times that she's now been fined over, you know, and I'm assuming that they've been fined over the the downing issue, or at least the league is has addressed it via a memo and is investigating. Um, so it makes me wonder if that isn't connected to this somehow. Well, we know that uh, the league, uh, I think they just got back today, actually. Um, the um, they, they had league meetings this weekend and the, and every, um, of course, general or owners went. And of course that uh, they, they sent a minority representative 
on the staffing side and a minority representative, including women, on the coaching side. So they sent Tony Dews. They sent Brian Gardner. But you have to think, Amy Adams Strunk got a little probably a head start on uh, doing some periphery uh, investigations on some preliminary investigations on uh, some of these uh, up and comers in other franchises. Don't you think? Yeah. I mean, that, that also could have something to do with it and that, you know, maybe she's talking to um, some folks there. I mean, I don't know. I guess she could have gone to that meeting either way. Um, well, no, and- I'm not saying that's directly related to John Robson. I'm just yeah. saying, that that's what she's doing. I mean, she's obviously well, kickstarting right now her look without having to. You're basically interviewing people without having to having to do anything formal and having to go through formal channels because it's like a big mixer. Well, and and I do I do think there could be something to the fact as far as like the John Robinson timing thing that hey she doesn't she wants to be able to go have these like open and honest conversations with these candidates at this meeting and she doesn't want to have to like hope they can keep a secret or or skirt around the the actual purpose of w- what she's wanting to talk about um and and that's why she just decided to go ahead and make the move i i don't know just so it'd all be out in the open but um yeah it's it is interesting i i think you know the titans have like the in-house candidates and everything um and then you put out a good list uh, as far as like the other external candidates that could be considered i think there's some good veteran gms available um as well as the in-house guys that i think are are interesting that they've got they're gonna have some good choices to choose from in my opinion um and it will be very interesting to see like which direction they go um speaking of directions i brought up and i sent you in a text message uh but basically i think it was uh brian's Spivey was watching a, a football show last Thursday and he brought up this name and I thought it was super, super interesting because I hadn't thought of it. Nobody's really talking about it, but Jim Schwartz Titans general manager. And listen, he's been from teams that have ranged from Super Bowl winners to Owen 16. Like, I mean, he's been on all the ends of the spectrum. He's been here at the Tennessee Titans for a long time, has strong ties. But not only that, he has been a scout before. Back back in the day when they probably had like a Polaroids and uh, wind up cameras, you know, to uh, film these guys. But back from 93 to 95, three seasons, he was a scout for the Cleveland Browns. So he does have experience in all this. And I'm sure he has um, from being a head coach from being defensive coordinators, from being position coaches, to now a defensive uh, head coaching assistant, whatever that title is, special coach assistant guy, um, has all this stuff. Obviously probably has strong relationship with the Adam Strunk family, you know, dating back to when he was here under Bud Adams. So I ask you, Mike, is it that, that crazy of an idea that maybe they interviewed Jim Schwartz? I would be pretty shocked just because to me, like if you're going to go with the, you know, guy that has been in coaching for a little bit or whatever. And to me, like striker would still be the guy that I would think Brable would want, not Schwartz. Um, No, I I didn't Brable did bring in Schwartz, right? I mean, so maybe he he does. And I also look at it this way. 
who has a stronger personality to maybe go to bat against Vrabel in a decision or hold his ground? Stretcher Schwartz. You know, that's just stuff I'm thinking about. Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting, it's an interesting thought. I, I, I have a hard time seeing it like happen because it, to me, I think like if if they're going with the internal candidate, I just I think either Austin Ford or Cowden or Stryker just to me makes more sense on that, like in that role. And then if they're going like if they want an experienced guy, I mean, there's plenty of them out there between like Rick Smith and Thomas Dimitrov and uh, Scott Pioli and, and guys like that that you could bring in and would have a strong enough voice to go toe to toe with Brable as well. So I, I don't I don't I, I'm I'm not buying your your Schwartz. Uh, uh, angle I think here. there may be an interview there. I mean, we may never know that he got interviewed, but I think there's going to be an interview. I just okay. have a feeling I kind of right. like this little conspiracy theory. Let me let me ask you something. One big thing with the Los Angeles Chargers game. And this is, I think, the only thing that anybody really needs to talk about is that the the Tennessee Titans love stopping the run. They can stop the run with the best of them. It's their bread and butter. The Los Angeles Chargers do not give a shit about the run game. (laughs) They do not care about their run game. So I ask you, Mike, how does this Tennessee Titans off a defense stop this Los Angeles Chargers offense? Because I think that is the the biggest matchup and the biggest concern. Because this is like a worst case. Uh, I feel like this is one of the worst matchups you can have because they philosophically the Chargers just don't care about running the football. Well, and and you can already like I can already see freaking Mike Williams just dunking on Roger McCreary all game and, oh and stuff God, like that. Yeah. I mean, that that, that is. Sure- a, Nightmare matchup. Don't you think Terrence Mitchell's unfortunately going to be on him? Which again, he's going to be dunking all game. Oh yeah, it, it is. It's a tough matchup um, for the defense specifically. And if I guess the one the one thing is going to be like the Chargers cannot pass block at all. Um, they have major issues. They're they're obviously without Rashawn Slater, who was their left tackle. Um, and, uh, you know, they, they're dealing with very similar situations as to what the Titans are on the offensive line right now. However, the Titans cannot pass rush anyone right now because, you know, they, they don't have Danico Autry and Jeffrey Simmons is dragging a leg around regardless of what he actually says about his ankle. Um, I, it's kind of one of those stoppable force meets movable object situations there. And, uh, I, you know, that'll be interesting to see if they can get any pressure on Herbert. Um, if they can, maybe they can help those corners out a little bit. But otherwise, you know, it would be really nice to have a magic wand and be able to, like, repair Christian Fulton's groin and uh, Trey Avery's whatever he has hurt. Uh, was it, yeah, concussion. He was concussion. That's right. Um, if you could maybe get those guys healthy, you know, maybe you feel a little bit better about it. But the Chargers finally have all their weapons, and you know they've got Keenan Allen healthy, they've got Mike oh. Williams healthy, they've got Josh Palmer healthy. Right at the wrong time for the Titans, because if you played this offense a month or two ago, you probably feel pretty good about it because all their guys were hurt and Justin Herbert had banged up ribs. Um, but yeah, it's, you it's don't think Zach McLeod is going to help this pass rush no. outside linebacker Zach McLeod? <laughs> yeah. Literally never heard of that guy until today. Um, <laughs> Where the fuck did they even find this guy? I don't know. John John Robinson can't be blamed now, though. It's old Ryan yeah. Cowden out there. Must have a hard-on for uh, whoever this McLeod guy is. 
Never uh, heard of him. Like, how do you even come across, you know, there's no tape of him, right? Like, no tape of him I think, in I the pros. I think he played for, uh, like, Miami in college or something like that. So, obviously, you'd have some scouting on, on that team. But he was he played there for, like, six years or something, which tells me he was not that good. Um, so, I yeah, very low hopes for that. But maybe Danico Autry comes back because, you know, they, they did – that's the one explanation that I feel like makes sense for the Ola Daney release is that, hey, uh, Danico Autry is going to be back and we like Basham and Edwards and these other guys better. We like these bigger defensive ends better than than a Daney. Um, so we're just going to roll with this group. But it, to me, maybe you get Autry, Fulton, and Avery back. That's that's the big hope here. Maybe yeah. Cunningham. I don't know, Cunningham won't help you in this game. It doesn't really matter if Cunningham comes back, I don't think. Well, we talked about that Philistine Dennis Daly enough. We've talked about that loser Dylan Cole enough. Let's talk about another loser that you that you specifically asked to talk about today, and that's Marcus Mariota. And the press conference on Tuesday by Art Smith was a scathing indictment of Marcus's leadership, his passion, and dedication to the game. And I remember arguing. With many people, including Tyler, who is a t- at Tic Tac Titans, that AJ Brown doesn't know shit about leadership. And I told everybody on this podcast that he does not know anything about shit about what it takes to be a leader. He doesn't wouldn't know what a good leader looks like if it slapped him in the face. And here we are, several months later. Finally, they made the switch to Desmond Ritter, which we knew was gonna happen. I just can't believe they put it this far away. And for the second time, Arthur Smith has been involved in a benching of Marcus Mariota. So that, A, he's not very good at football. B, he is kind of giving them the runaround or something is going on right now. And he's basically just, you know, giving up on ever coming back to the facility. Uh, throwing himself a little pity party, just like all good leaders do. So I ask you this, Mike. You have the floor. What do you want to say about Marcus Mariota? Yeah. So listen, the quote from Arthur Smith, it's nothing that's been an issue this season, but that's his prerogative. So like that, that's what he said. Like that to me sounds like a guy that's like, yeah, this is, this is not a, this is not a pressing injury. He could absolutely wait to do whatever he's doing. Like if he's getting a scope or whatever, which all kinds of players have knee scopes after the season and, you know, get, get ready for their their offseason training and whatnot. It does not sound like this is anything that had to be done. The Falcons are 5-8, and eight, but they are one game out of first place in their sorry-ass division, the, the one division that's actually worse uh, than the AFC South, uh, the NFC South. They are one game out of first place. They could still win the division, and Marcus Mariota is one play, one Desmond Ritter ankle tweak away from being right back in the middle of playing. And I understand, yes, he had a child recently, and I guess the, the theory is that he's going home to be with his his child and uh, his wife. Is he the only quarterback or the only player in NFL history to ever have a child during the middle of the season who wasn't a full-time starter? There was no, a guy that, that, listen, listen, there was a guy, uh, was it Carlos Hyde? Who uh, had a his he went and had his his, his child ha- was uh, born b- right before the game 
or his wife was in labor, then he drove over to the game anyway and played the game, went out for like 200-something yards, then went back to see his wife. Yeah. I mean, like, I totally understand if 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 he wants to spend time with his kid, great. Good for him. Appreciate that. This is This is professional football. You understand what you're signing up for when you sign for that whatever million dollar, like he's getting paid, you know, I think $20 million or something like that uh, by the Falcons. Not uh, just uh, this what, year. An overpay, by the way. And I can't believe that Arthur Smith, who has already been involved benching him, thought that, hey, this is the guy I'm going to pay this much money to. That's yeah. like a, that felt like a John Robinson move, right? When, <laughs> when you sign up to do that, you are committed to the football season, right? Like that is what it is. And, it's not like you don't get to see it's not like you're out on an oil rig uh like you can't go home and see your kid at night marcus mario could could come in and be the guy that arrives at eight o'clock and hits the door as soon as he possibly can and does no optional extra work whatever he already was that guy here (laughs) i know because i lived next to him Yeah, that is that is what he's doing. Like, oh, look at my clock. Oh, there goes Marcus driving down the down the street. I'm like, yes. well, dang. I mean, I didn't know you could go in at like seven or eight. Yeah. So, I mean, it's not like he has to work crazy hours or do anything nuts. Just go to practice and, and be with your team. Like to me, this is this is soft. This is bullshit. I would be pissed if I was a teammate of his because I'd be like, oh, well, so now that you're benched. You're just going to go home and chill. Uh, you know, you don't think we all have nagging injuries that we'd like to be dealing with, too. You don't think we have kids that we'd like to be home seeing, too. Like, fuck this guy. Like, to me, that's how I would feel if I was his teammate. And I just can't believe how many people still rush in to defend St. Marcus anytime anybody says something like, what the hell is going on here? Why is he going home in the middle of the season? It looks like he's pouting like a baby over getting benched, and rightfully so. It, look, I know a lot of people think Marcus Mariota is a nice guy. Most of the people who think Marcus Mariota is a really nice guy have never met the guy. So he may be a nice guy. Everyone says he's a nice guy. That's great. This can still be soft and bullshit, and he can still be a nice guy. That's perfectly okay uh, to have that opinion. And to me, this is soft and bullshit. So enough of the blind defending of Marcus Mariota. This is soft. This is bullshit. I'm, I'm done with it. You, you would be fired from your job or you would fire an employee from your job who just decided, hey, I saw that this other person got a promotion over me. Then I worked really hard. So I know that I'm, I'm coming down with something. I'm a little sick. Um, I may be in a work tomorrow. may not. And I don't know when I'll be back into work. I think I'll just stay home. Like, okay. I mean, like you would get fired for that, right? They'd be like, okay, well, I'll see you later. Bye. Don't come back. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to take some sick days. I don't know how many, I I probably just won't see you again. I I don't know. Like, yeah, it it is to me, this is an indefensible move by Marcus Mariota. Like at least as a professional athlete, um, as a human being, hey, go ahead and listen. If, you, if yeah. football's not your thing, which you have proven by your demeanor, by your lack of passion to actually go and be awesome at your craft and always going home on any long holiday, always flying to Hawaii, even though everybody, your family can live here in, in wherever that you're at, going home to Hawaii if there's just like two in days Oregon. of break. Oh, I got to go. I got to go to Oregon. I can't be in the city that I play for two days 
in between games. I got to go back. Listen, if that's your thing, that's your thing. Just don't don't sign up and sign up for to be a teammate, to be a player. Just retire. Yeah, it, to me, like that's what he needs to do because, it, like, all I will never shit on him for having his family be his priority. I, I'm totally on board with that, but that is not the life of a professional football player, and he knows that. And to me, if you want to be, if you don't want to be a pro football player, then stop being a pro football player. And to me, that's what he needs to do. He needs to retire. Uh, he needs to go be with his wife and his kid. He's made more money than he needs anyways. Like this guy doesn't, is, doesn't live in like this, like lavish lifestyle or anything like that. I'm sure he can go live a very nice life in Hawaii and probably coach his old alma mater or whatever he wants to do. Um, and be with his family and happy for him. If that's what he wants to do, happy for him, but let's not hold him to a totally different standard than we hold anyone else to. Because if Ryan Tannehill, uh, you oh. know, was big, hey, he could even Willis. Listen, he could even go fishing without this fan base going fucking nuts over it. If if Ryan Tannehill was bench, bench for Malik Willis next week, and he said, "Now fuck you guys, I'm going home and getting a fake knee surgery or whatever uh, to spend time with my kids," people would go nuts. People would go nuts about Ryan Tannehill's a bad leader. Look, he's just pouting. Uh, you know, he, he's he doesn't want to mentor Malik like all. Other Meanwhile, stuff. Ryan Tannehill with two bum ankles is going out here and playing behind a, a playing for a team behind an offensive line that has given him shit all to work with, and he's gonna get beat up for the rest of the way. And you know what he's gonna do? He's gonna come back next year and play again, and he's yeah. gonna keep on doing it. And he has like four or five kids, a beautiful hot wife. Hell, if I made all the money that Ryan Tannehill has made. And I had to go through the season, this season that he's going through, where I'm just getting mentally beat up and physically beat up, and I've been shit on by this ungrateful-ass fan base. <laughs> I'd fucking retire. Hell yeah, I'd be out of here. And I'd say, peace, I'm retiring. You still owe me the money. You still on the hook for all my money. It's like Taylor One. I would retire if I was Taylor One. He's got, he's got everything he could ask for. He doesn't need to play anymore. He's obviously had really hard issues on his ankle and his legs and his ACL and all that jazz. And he's doing all kinds of other stuff. Fucking retire. Like, if I was Ryan Tannehill, I would say peace. Enjoy quarterback purgatory for a couple <laughs> of years. I'm out. Yeah, yeah. Let's, let, let me know how this works out for you guys. Um, yeah, I, I, so in short, all NFL players need to retire. Just, yes. just be done. <laughs> just retire. <laughs> But obviously that goes to speak to the passion of the game that a lot of these players have. And if, listen, if you want to, you, I'll point back to Dylan Cole. I think he, he has a lot of passion, right? Marcus, eh, don't see a lot of passion. You may see it after he does like one stiff arm every so often, or he makes one first down. He has some passion there, but I don't think he has passion for the game outside of the the bright lights. Yeah, I don't, I don't think he really like loves playing football yeah. necessarily. I, I think he might like being a teammate. I think he might like the guys and stuff like that, but I, I don't think he likes football that much. Yeah. Well, we love football. That's why we talk about it every week. And that's why Jaspers has chosen to sponsor us, even though we're still waiting on that cocktail or beer Jaspers go down there two for one, go down there this Sunday, watch the chargers play at three twenty-five PM and Titans and chargers. Get two for ones and demand a cocktail for football and other efforts to be put on the menu. Demand it. 
I don't know what that's going to be, but demand it. We'll figure something out. Uh, he's Mike Herndon. You can follow him on Twitter at Mike Herndon NFL. He's got an article out today that you're listening to this on paulkarski.com. It's not as bad and not as depressing as you think it may be. He also is going to have on Thursday the Mike Herndon Show, maybe out on Friday. I know sometimes that time timetable gets flipped around, but become a Broadway insider. Listen to the Mike Herndon Show. Watch the Mike Herndon Show however you can as an insider. Enjoy it. I hope you enjoyed this show. We'll be back next week. I'm Zach Lyons at F-Words Pod. Mike Herndon at Mike Herndon NFL. This is Football Owner of F-Words, and you have just been effed. A Broadway Sports Media Production.